This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Glad to have back in the House president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. It is a partnership that was established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for years now, Scott Paul, our guest and president of the AAM, have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the show, Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome. Welcome back. Hey, it's great to be with you, as always, Leslie. When uh, Kurt Eichenwald was on the show yesterday, and minutes after, he had a news story, yet another one about Donald Trump. And this was a story about Donald Trump and how he ditched American steelworkers uh, in favor of China. The second I read that, I thought, oh, when is Scott on the show again, guys? And they're like, tomorrow. So I'm so glad you're here because th- you were the first person I thought of uh, when I saw this. First of all, Scott, tell, tell me, but in your position as president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, as somebody who has worked for years and continues tirelessly to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters, our national leaders, and who wants to see a change in the numbers and an increase in good, solid, good-paying and green, if we can, manufacturing jobs in this country. What was your first reaction to this? Were you, were you horrified? Were you not surprised? Share with me what you felt when Kirk Eichenwald's story about Donald Trump ditching U.S. steel workers in favor of China came up. Yeah, first, I want to say I have a lot of appreciation for Kurt's craft because I've been saying for months, someone should look at what kind of steel... Trump uses for his building projects. It's like I don't, I don't have time to do that kind of investigation. But I hope an enterprising reporter takes a look at that. So, my hat off to him on a well-reported, well-researched piece. Um, yeah, I was both horrified and not surprised. Um, you know, not surprised because we've had this conversation uh, in the past that you know Trump generally has not put his money where, the, where his mouth is. On on you know, supporting American workers, uh, any of the Trump branded products uh, you can name are made overseas, uh, and so again, it comes as no surprise to me um, that uh, Trump would try to maximize a return for himself um, and not uh, not put his money where his mouth is. Um, at all. Uh, and it was, and the thing that I think that uh, Kurt Eichenwald makes very clear is that, you know, sometimes a businessman will hide behind this facade of, uh, well, I have to maximize profits for my investors because it's a publicly held corporation, et cetera. In this case, it wasn't. It was it was private. It was it was uh, all the profits would have gone to Donald Trump and his family. It's not a publicly held company, uh, and so here's a guy who has given speeches about steel and bringing steel back for America. Yet, on every uh, nearly every opportunity that he's had to do that throughout a you know a 30 year business career or more, he hadn't done it. 
Uh, absolutely. When we look at what Trump has promised, and I think a lot of blue collar workers, um, you know, like him uh, for this. I mean, it, you know, it used to be if you were a union worker, you always it would seem historically supported the Democrat. That's not the way it is this time around. And I want to point out that the AAM is nonpartisan, uh, but certainly you can attack either party. Um, you certainly have been unhappy with uh, President Obama on TPP. Uh, let's talk about Donald Trump's uh, promises and claims that he's going to fight off U.S. trade adversaries. And he's going to reinvigorate our manufacturing industries. He has renewed it time and time again verbally and giving lip service to his commitment to the Rust Belt. Can you speak to that? Is all of that a lie? That is not possible, at least if he continues to practice the way he has. And can we believe somebody with these practices who, in a sense, has thrown in key battleground states, quite frankly, uh, blue collar workers under the bus who work in manufacturing, who specifically work or jobs are dependent and reliant upon steel, U.S. steel. Um, can he fight off trade uh, adversaries with his actions? Can he reinvigorate manufacturing and our country's manufacturing industries? Yeah, well, th- that's that's the real question, right? Is is a is a president can deliver on a campaign promise? Um, and uh, you know, are they going to be able to 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 change the equation? And uh, I, I'm I'm good with promises. I'm, for instance, you know, I'm glad President Obama said we're going to take China to the mat uh, back in 2008. I'm glad he said a, a million jobs in manufacturing goal in 2012. I, I think those were good because without those kind of goals, you're not going to have a plan to get there. Uh, and and so that both both Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump have these kinds of goals to reshape our trade policy, uh, to, to, to emphasize manufacturing as an important part of the economy. Look, that's a good thing, but what is he going to do? Uh, you know, there was, I, I read a piece uh, a few weeks ago that, you know, presidents, once candidates suddenly you know, assume office, become president, they don't change their behavior. Uh, in fact, uh, the presidency tends to bring out the worst. Uh, it, does, it doesn't make anybody more human, or uh, you know, or, or more rational, uh, or it doesn't necessarily uh, help them to change their stripes at all. Um, and so, you know, in the past, you know, when you look at the record, whether it's taxes, his treatment of uh, of vendors, um, or where he's chosen to source his products and building materials, uh, Trump hasn't been looking out for American workers, American businesses, period. So uh, the idea that you know you have one person who says only he can solve these problems, uh, and uh, trust me, it's going to be a great deal, um, isn't enough for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm glad he recognizes the importance of manufacturing. I'm glad he recognizes the importance of steel. Uh, I think that uh, the fact that a lot of the industrial heartland and other states have been hollowed out and there is this sense of helplessness and there is this anger uh, is something that his candidacy has brought to the forefront. Uh, but I would caution everybody that uh, you know, there, 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 it's never been the American experience that only one person uh, can can change this or change that. That's the first thing, and the second thing is that I think it's important for people to separate Trump's rhetoric from the fact that there there really is pain. Uh, there, there really are a lot of manufacturing workers who have lost their jobs. 
then that's had an impact not only on them but on their communities. Uh, and that this is happening in a lot of different places. And, you know, the things that I read sometimes where there's this pushback from economists or from pundits saying, oh, they're just pandering to, to Midwestern voters. No, it's not the case. There really is a challenge. It's contributed to a hollowing out of the middle class. It cer- certainly has exacerbated the challenges that we've faced in this country with inequality, uh, these challenges deserve some real attention. They deserve some real policy changes that involves investing in our own country and also changing our trade policy. Uh, but when a you know a guy like Trump who comes in like a, a carnival barker uh, and says you know don't look at what I've done, just listen to what I've said, uh, you know that look that's the, count me as being very skeptical uh, about uh, about his sincerity about all of this. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, after this. If you have a question or comment, join us now because the show goes by fast. Uh, We have four segments. The next is the shortest, so we're almost halfway through this hour with Scott. Pick up the phone and join us. We're talking about this and other issues, but right up off the bat, how do you feel as a blue-collar worker, maybe somebody in manufacturing, that Donald Trump, in a sense, you know, put his business and bought his steel from China and, in a sense, you know, took a job from you. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Call me, tweet. Follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. We'll be back after this. We're back with Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and uh, let's continue this conversation. Uh, Scott, would it be fair to say, as Kurt uh, speaks about in his piece as senior writer uh, for Newsweek magazine and who wrote this and broke this article, that Donald Trump with these actions, has been stiffing American steel workers for years with his own construction projects, that there are untold millions of dollars. And when we look at it, it does affect specifically the states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So in other words, could we say Donald Trump stiffed the American workers specifically in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin who are so reliant on these materials and these jobs? Leslie, as my parents used to say to me, and maybe they said it to you too, you know, life is all about choices. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, Trump had a choice. I mean, no one was forcing him to buy steel or aluminum from China. Um, and the, the, I guess the thing that uh, that, that gets me is, is does, look, does this happen every day in American construction where there's Chinese steel used or Chinese aluminum used? Absolutely. No doubt about that. Because it's, so it's not, it's not unusual. Um, and that's part of the reason why uh, we face such challenges in the steel industry and in manufacturing today. But for a guy who says, I'm basically going to be the savior of the steel, steel industry, I'm going to bring these jobs back, um, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to get tough uh, with the Chinese, uh, you know, he's a guy who did business with them. Um, with with the, uh, the, their banks, uh, with their steel companies, with their aluminum companies, um, and so I'm just not really buying it that he is, is going to be able to harness or leverage that into some sort of knowledge that he's going to use now to support American workers. Uh, and I know there's 
people who will push back and say, look, he's a businessman. He knows the problems now. Uh, he, he's the one who knows how to solve them. Uh, but, but I just I, I don't see these conversions happen a, a lot in politics. Um, never, really. And so I, I, I wouldn't be terribly optimistic or holding my breath that, that he would have one either. Um, I want to uh, ask you also, because um, you touched upon this, with Donald Trump, like you said, a choice, right? You said your parents taught you about a choice. And in this choice, in this decision, um, we a lot of people say, look, th- th- this was not a legal obligation to investors because that some people could give him a pass on. But he made this choice because he wanted higher profits for himself and his family. But that resulted in less jobs and income for American workers. Yeah, it did. And, and th- th- there are some people out there, Leslie, who will say, well, that's true, but, you know, it's just too expensive to buy this stuff in the United States, and you can only make money if you're going to uh, import it uh, from China. And, and in the case of the aluminum, it looks like it might have actually been dumped, potentially, which is below cost. Um, but, but then I, I you know, I, I raise the issue of, look at all these companies that are investing in America, that are investing uh, in American workers, uh, who have great brands uh, and have figured out to make money. I mean, there's a, there's a, a guy who owns a company called WeatherTech. They make floor mats, of all things, but it's entirely sourced from the United States. He advertises on the Super Bowl. They make these things in Illinois, and, and he makes money. Joseph Abood makes suits in Massachusetts, and they make money. Um, and so it's not unusual. I mean, it is entirely possible uh, to, uh, to to source products, uh, to source materials, uh, and 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 make some money uh, off of it. But it look it takes some imagination, and it, and and at the at the core of your beliefs, you have to believe in American workers and the fact that you're going to get a quality product um, and that you're going to get it delivered on time. Um, and so I just, you know, Trump's obviously never demonstrated that uh, through his purchasing uh, when a lot of other people have. Scott, you read my mind because something I was going to ask you was why would somebody choose uh, the steel from China? I assumed it was cheaper and you meant that. But, you know, the other day um, I was cleaning out my shoe rack and I am a girl like shoes. I didn't understand the upset with Imelda Marcos. No, sorry, sorry, just joking. Uh, But uh, back in the day, Um, but I I like shoes and I was sort of cleaning out. And I got to say, the ones I paid more for, quite frankly, are still in my closet and the cheapy ones that got at cheapo stores that won't be made, named um, probably were, you know, made overseas. Um, they they fell apart. Uh, we have talked about those T-shirts that are, you know, a buck a piece or, you know, three for ten bucks or five bucks a piece, whatever. And they fall apart after one or two washes. My fear for America and the American people, for our buildings, for our bridges, it could this be the case? We know that there was lead in some of the Chinese paint that was put on toys for uh, products that Americans bought in American toy stores that were manufactured, that were made in China. Um, You know, don't you get what you pay for, Scott? I mean, this scares me as an American uh, when somebody is looking to cut corners with cost with something like steel, which is not something we should mess around in, uh, because, you know, we do have earthquakes and more natural disasters now uh, than ever before. And, and we do, with these storms, have greater wear and tear on not just these buildings, but certainly these bridges. They do. 
Uh, San Francisco Bay Bridge, great example. Governor Schwarzenegger thought he could get a cheap deal by sourcing the steel from China. Turns out it cost way more than they thought it would. Uh, the, the welds were problematic, and the bridge has problems today. Uh, a few years after it was opened. And so, yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you're into fast fashion and H&M, and look, I have lots of problems with that thing, but, you know, the, what, what happens generally is you got to buy your clothes more regularly, they're cheaper, and there's a system of exploitation that occurs overseas. But you don't want cheap materials in buildings. You end, you end up with problems that way. And so, yeah, investing, investing at, the out, at the outset uh, may cost a little more in some circumstances, but, but over the life of things, uh, it's going to pay off. Uh, that's true for shoes. That's true, true for steel. Uh, and, and my only concern is that, you know, Trump, the businessman, uh, the, the damage is limited, obviously, to, to his commercial holdings, and, and that's bad. Uh, but, but Trump is president. We don't need a policy like that. No, absolutely. We're going to take a break. Back with Scott Paul from the AAM. Pick up the phone and join us. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. More talk, more topics right after this. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall, and I want to tell you that GEICO has been saving people money for over 75 years. Check it out. Uh, back with our guest, and we have some calls. Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. You have a question or comment, pick up the phone and join us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Check out the website for the AAM, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow Scott on Twitter as well, at ScottPaulAAM. You can tweet him and me, at Leslie Marshall. Follow me there during the show. We'll share your comments. And we also do want to hear from you via the phone, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Scott, thanks for holding. Welcome back. Let's take some calls. We go to Albuquerque, New Mexico, line two. Mark, listening on KABQ Radio. Question or comment for Scott Mark. Good afternoon. Oh, hi. Thank you for the show. I'm sorry I just tuned in, so I didn't hear some of the background involved. Maybe That's, okay. My... That's okay. That's uh, okay. I, I think I'm against trade agreements, and I called my uh, congressman about the TPP, but I understand the general principle that if we manufacture overseas at lower labor rates, we get products imported back in the United States at lower cost. How can we bring back manufacturing onshore? Because I think that without manufacturing, our economy doesn't is not very healthy. But how can we bring it back onshore without raising the price of products uh, significantly? Or is that inevitable? Scott? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and that's kind of the classic economic conundrum. But there are a couple of things that are happening. First of all, you know, the way we manufacture is transforming, and it's a little less labor-intensive, a little more energy uh, and machine-intensive, and the cost differential uh, comes down in a lot of products. Uh, when you factor in the uh, consideration that shipping costs uh, overseas uh, are, are not necessarily going down a lot uh, and that 
uh, the United States, despite this kind of crazy election, has far more political stability than some other parts of the world. Uh, it makes the U.S. look like an attractive manufacturing destination, especially for our, our own consumers. Uh, and so the, the ultimate cost of the consumer for a lot of things uh, shouldn't be all that great. And, and as Leslie and I were having a conversation about this whole issue of what we would call, I guess, life cycle cost, which is not just the cost when you're buying a product, but the, the cost over the life of the good and that higher quality goods um, uh, you know, tend to cost a little more, uh, synonymous with American-made many times. And so, uh, you know, encouraging consumers to think about uh, the ways in which uh, costs can be distributed uh, over a number of years uh, is also an important factor, and some people do that uh, already. Uh, so I think that you know, in general, the trends favor uh, American manufacturing, even when you have this cost consideration. The, the other and the final point is, like, where does public policy come in? Well, if goods are coming in at below market prices and they're subsidized by a foreign government, uh, that's something that's distorting the market. It's not an efficient, efficient use of capital. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the the jobs that we lose through that, and the wages that we use, and then the lose, and then the ripple effect of that throughout the economy, has a much more negative effect than any economist had previously imagined. And so the downside is a little bit larger than we thought. The upside is a little smaller than we thought because instead of lower consumer prices, we're getting uh, higher stock prices for a lot of these companies, and uh, that is something that is exacerbated uh, uh, and widened uh, income inequality uh, in, in this country. So there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, in summary, I think there's a, there's a path forward and there's more opportunity for American manufacturing jobs under the right circumstances. We're going to check. That, uh, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, that answers some of my concerns as a – how would we structure a plan for American companies that are – manufacturing overseas to bring their manufacturing back on shore uh, that would be a win-win for our economy and those companies? That, that's a great question, and it would take, first of all, you know, a broad economic strategy that puts manufacturing towards the center of it, since it is something that's in global competition. That means tax incentives for bringing some jobs back. At the same time, you know, some, some tax penalties for shipping jobs overseas. That's one tax code method for doing that. We also have to uh, invest in the things that make our economy competitive, things like our infrastructure, uh, like our workforce, like continuing our, uh, our, our progress on research and development so that we can bring innovations to the factory floor. Uh, I think that if you look at some of those things, uh, they would certainly serve uh, as an incentive. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, look, we, we do need to look at our trade agreements, how they're structured, uh, and, and to have them much, be much more results-based and reciprocal. We don't need a wall of tariffs. Uh, we don't necessarily need a freeway to lost jobs. There's, there's something in the middle there uh, that also needs to be explored. Thank you for the call. Uh, let's continue with the calls. We have a number of them here. 888-6-LESLIE is the number. Let's go to Ishmael in Virginia, Line 3, listening on TuneIn. Ishmael, good afternoon. Question or comment for Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Yes, uh, hello, Leslie. Thank you for my call. First of all, I want to let you know, Leslie, that you're not allowed to take any more days off until the election is over. 
No, but uh, what I wanted to what I wanted to ask is Trump talked a lot about our infrastructure, how it's um, uh, it's been degrading and things like that. And I mean, he goes around and buys steel from China. Isn't it? Aren't, uh, isn't the media supposed to bring this out to the to the Rust Belt to the people in Ohio and Pennsylvania? Because I mean, his post shows up, and then there's a lot of different things that he's doing. Like, everything that he said is. is Things are coming out the opposite of what he's saying. So, so what is the next step for the media to get this out so the voters can know that this man is not what he's saying? Uh, Scott, uh, what do you think? Is, is it out there? Is it de- depend on uh, you know which segment of the population you are and where you get your media? What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. And from a media perspective, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pass that back to you in a second, Leslie. But I will say this: that I mean, this story about the Chinese steel and Trump uh, broke, you know, about a day ago. Um, Hillary Clinton has, you know, mentioned it on the campaign trail in Ohio. Um, if I were a betting person, I would bet we're going to probably see this in some ads, um, TV ads. I would be shocked if that weren't the case. I have no knowledge of that, but I would just be shocked if that wasn't used. And, and we'll see who else uh, picks it up. Part of the challenge is that with, with Trump, you know, there are, there are like these morsels every day. I mean, there was the tax story. Uh, there was the, the, the thing that he said about veterans with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and so, uh, honestly, I think from a media perspective, it's probably easier to explain that than to connect the dots on the Chinese steel story. Though I'm glad that Kirk Eichenwald did it. I'm, Leslie, I'm glad you're doing it today. All right. Thank you uh, for that, uh, Ishmael, uh, for your question. Uh, let's go next to, let's see who's up next. Uh, we go to Steve listening uh, in Albuquerque as well on KABQ. Steve, good afternoon on line four. Hi, Leslie. Uh, my name is Steve, and I'm a retired union iron worker. Wow, awesome. And I was superintendent at a job at Intel. And the manufacturer, uh, fabricator, sent us boats from Taiwan. Well, when Intel seen that they were from Taiwan, they insisted that I take every piece of iron from Taiwan out of that building of the Intel. So other companies could do the same. But Intel stood up and they got everything that foreign out of their building. I just wanted to tell everybody that. Wow. All right. Thank, thank, thank you for calling and for sharing and for, you know, working in that industry as, as part of our manufacturing sector. Uh, uh, Scott? Yeah, I'll only say that, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting and profound story. And, and Intel's not the only country that would uh, make and, uh, you know, it would insist on having domestically sourced products. Obviously, our Defense Department does, th- th- but, but also uh, wanting to guarantee quality for something. And Andy Grove, who was, you know, the CEO of Intel for many years, uh, is, is often associated with high tech and those types of advances, but, but he, you know, he several years ago made this pitch that we have to create more American made, American manufacturing jobs, and that will that will necessitate changes in the way we think about trade and procurement, uh, which was pretty profound coming from this this guy who helped helped to incubate the Silicon Valley vibe. And I think that's a great story. Uh, and look, if, if if Intel can do it, certainly uh, the Donald J. Trump 
company uh, could follow suit. Absolutely. Quick break. We'll be back. More calls and some other topics we're going to touch upon with Scott Paul, president of the AAM. And like I said, you need to check them out. Uh, Check out the website during the break. Go to AmericanManufacturing.org and follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. We'll be back right after this. We are back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Let's take a couple more calls and then get to some other topics in this hour as well. Sound good? Sounds great. I love the uh, call so far, Leslie. Oh, me too. We have good. We have a really smart audience and good callers. And you know, sometimes they ask me questions that are just like, "Wow, that's a good question." I wasn't even prepared to answer that, but you know, we'll definitely get you the answer you need. Uh, Marcy's online too. Marcy's listening on the radio as well. Marcy, good afternoon. Question or comment for Scott? A uh, question. I was just wondering, would it be possible um, for anybody that uh, any federal person that gets a federal subsidy or anything or the federal government purchases anything that um it would have to be made in the usa is that legal is that possible to do like when the olympics they go in the opening ceremonies their outfits all have to be made in the usa that's a great that's a great question and so um i i could talk for an hour about federal procurement policy leslie but i won't i will um summarize here there are laws uh, and there have been actually since the 1930s that require certain types of federal purchases that is things that are uh, purchased by the federal government or public structures that's things like bridges roads um, uh, you know, there are also military require, requirements, things that go into our tanks and supplies for the troops, uh, have to be uh, made in the United States of America. Um, and so that is true, but if a uh, – I, the, the law does not state that if you receive federal subsidies in the, forms of, in the form of tax breaks or some other type of, of benefit, uh, that, that everything you purchase has to be made uh, in the United States uh, of America. And we, we may actually face some limitations um, from uh, the, the uh, WTO agreement uh, that uh, World Trade Organization uh, that the United States belongs to in, in implementing something like that. Um, but but yes, for any contractor uh, who does business with the United States and is is building something uh, that will be a public, uh, a federal um, uh, building or road, uh, they do have to uh, uh, source materials from the United States, which shows me that it's entirely possible. Um, and, uh, and and you know they, they they consider bidding and other things like this, and so it's often a, a competitive process. So there's there's even more than one uh, uh, U.S. supplier that's available for, for a lot of this. So the, the fact that uh, Trump was unable or unwilling to look for something, uh, the, I think the, the, the example that you set up, Marcy, only, only uh, highlights that uh, even more strongly. Uh, thank you. Okay. Uh- Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you, Marcy, uh, for the call. And if you want to join us just this last segment before the top of the hour news break, so give us a buzz at 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Before we talk about the vice presidential debates uh, tonight, a debate tonight, uh, Scott, and what you think the VP candidate should talk about uh, at the debate, um, you know, just chat with me quickly about the first uh, presidential debate. Um, Did you feel that trade and manufacturing uh, were dominant enough in that first presidential debate? Uh, so, 
Well, I mean, some of the first words out of Trump's mouth were, uh, our jobs are fleeing overseas. Um, and so, again, he correctly diagnoses, uh, diagnoses you know, one of the challenges. Um, uh, but then, you know, he, he launches into hyperbole, and, uh, and then the debate kind of, uh, you know, went on from there. But Hillary Clinton did talk about the fact that uh, she, you know, she, she believes in reforming our trade policy. She has a manufacturing plan, um, and she does. She has a, a well-thought-out uh, and detailed uh, plan to bring manufacturing jobs uh, back to this country. So uh, was I happy that it got raised? Absolutely. I think any time that an issue gets raised in a presidential debate, it's a good thing. I, I will say I'm more concerned about you know keeping the momentum going, um, and also once we have a president to make sure that they're delivering on uh, what the, on the commitments that they've made uh, to voters, uh, and and that's that's a that's an ongoing challenge uh, for all of us. Uh, I wanted to uh, also ask you, during the first debate, I was screaming at the television because Lester Holt didn't bring up, and especially Hillary Clinton didn't bring up, when Donald Trump said just that, what you just mentioned, Scott, about outsourcing jobs, sending jobs overseas, that, that, that was a number one, if not the top issue with our economy. We've got to bring these jobs back. Nobody pointed out how many Trump products were made in Mexico and China and how many jobs he sent overseas. And this was before the revelation with, uh, uh, you know, Kurt's uh, Newsweek article yesterday. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a that was a softball teed up for Hillary Clinton, and uh, she she instead kind of uh, veered into into tax policy. Um, and uh, and I thought, yeah, I thought she missed an opportunity yep. there. Uh, to, uh, to, to again raise and remind voters of Trump's hypocrisy on this. Uh, and, and so that was, yeah, that, that, that was really a missed opportunity. I mean, she, she obviously had a great debate, uh, you know, and, and, and by, by nearly every account that wasn't Russian influence, she won it. Um, but, but I, I, you know, I think that the more that voters know everybody's entire record on this, uh, you know, look, that's, that's probably going to benefit her. Uh, in all of this. Um, I would agree with you there. Um, so what should VP candidates be talking about at the debate tonight? We know manufacturing is top of mind for you and you want it to be top of mind for the voters and that they need to address that. But specifically, uh, which issues within manufacturing would you like to see um, discussed and debated um, by Pence and Kane? Yeah, well, I, that's a great question, and, and hopefully it will be policy-focused, and, you know, the economy is still the top issue for voters, and so if there is some detail on how we're going to rebuild uh, the infrastructure, because as governors, uh, both Tim Kaine and Mike Pence uh, had to take a hard look at that, and, and you have to make choices about how to finance this as well. Uh, I mean, the, the money has to come from somewhere, whether it's, it's, it's borrowed, uh, or whether there's offsetting cuts, or whether you're raising revenue so that's one aspect I, I also hope um, you know that there will be some conversation about trade because uh, honestly it might make the debate a little more interesting you know T- Tim Kaine uh, had a little more of a pro free trade agreement record than Hillary Clinton uh, he has since said that he's opposed uh, to the TPP as it stands right now uh, Mike Pence has supported every 
every trade agreement. Uh, and so it would, I mean, it could create some really interesting moments, um, both for the viewers uh, as, as, and for the candidates uh, as well. But that focus on the economy and also, you know, whether you believe in investing in workers through workforce training, uh, minimum wage, uh, there, there are obviously some uh, right to organize issues on which there are stark differences uh, among those candidates and, and, and voters ought to have an opportunity opportunity uh, to, uh, to, to learn a little bit more uh, about, uh, about the, the different approaches on those topics. Um, you had just launched Faces of Steel. It firsthand uh, tells stories of the impact that workers have felt due to the steel import crisis. In less than 60 seconds in a sentence or two, could you just speak to that, Faces of Steel? Yeah, it's on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. We've collected stories from men and women uh, uh, and, and all over the country about how steel has touched their lives. Uh, they work in it or in the supply chain or perhaps in a town that's impacted by it. Uh, and we're following that up with a very detailed look at what deindustrialization has done to urban centers in the United States and to African Americans in particular. And we'll be launching just a preview for your listeners that a little later in the week uh, on Thursday. But we want to keep these issues front and center uh, before uh, the American people as the election draws closer. Thank you, Scott. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Follow him on Twitter at ScottFallAAM. And like you heard, uh, go to AmericanManufacturing.org, the website, to find out more.